Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans, and welcome into another Sunday Fun Day post game edition of Sox on Tap. I am Tony Marchese, joined tonight by NWI Steve, talking about a White Sox winner. We've got plenty of other things to discuss on the show today. We're going to get into just a ton of White Sox talk, and that's why we do this. But before we get into it, Steve, I just want to say we split the series with Detroit. I need to get to your initial thoughts, and then I'll read some some of our promotional material, some of our advertising stuff. So, Steve, hit me with your thoughts from today's White Sox winner. Hey, yo, Anthony. It's always nice to have a, night, have a little family Sunday action here. Um, initial thoughts are this. Obviously, they needed this win today here to get a split in this series. Pivotal 19-game stretch all within the division. You go three and four this week. That's not what you want to see. Um, they got to clean this up. And perhaps the biggest week of the season coming up here in Cleveland and in Minnesota. So the fact that they were able to come back, win this ball game today, uh, get on that plane to Cleveland tomorrow with a little bit of positivity is pretty important. Happy flights, right, Steve? Happy flights. That's what uh, that's what we want. Uh, Sox win this by a final of 4-2. Uh, we're going to get into a little bit of the recap of this and then move on to some general White Sox conversations. Before we do that, make sure you're following the show at Sox on Tap on Twitter. Just get on our YouTube, hit that subscribe button, add on Tap Sportsnet so you can hop in, chat with us in the comments, uh, give us your thoughts on, on what you saw day in, day out, and maybe they'll get featured on this show. Steve, you can follow him at nwi steve you can see it right there if you're watching us live right now if you're not listening in podcast form at nwi underscore steve myself at tony on tap uh and uh let's let's get into this steve Sox win four to two this was a ball game where you know i saw a lot of people out there telling me that this one was over before it started the Sox were not going to not going to make any noise and that, uh, you know, we were just going to get shut out today because we scored eight runs yesterday and that's how the season's gone. So Steve, let's get into the offense. It was a late start, but man, I love late starts. Sometimes those were my favorite days in high school, late starts. You got to have, you know, an extra smoke before school starts. You get to, you know, sleep in a little bit longer, maybe grab a coffee from Dunkin' Donuts or breakfast at McDonald's late start for the offense today on Sunday for the White Sox. How, were you feeling about this White Sox offense today? Obviously through five innings, not particularly great. Um, you see another mediocre right-handed starting pitcher kind of carving through this lineup and they were able to kind of piece things together. And it all started with a very maligned figure at the top of the order, Mr. Yoan Mankata, who yep. I seem to recall someone in the Sox on tap group chat 
questioning why he was leading off today. Anthony, question for you. Who was that? That was me, Steve. That was me. Um, you know, I'm a habitual lineup commenter. Um, it's my favorite thing to do. You, you, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter at Tony on Tap, you can tell that I have I've always questioned the lineups. This is the first day I think I've questioned the lineup all season. I want to see Tim Anderson in there. Um, I think Frank said it best on today's uh, pregame show. Uh, you know, he he was given a story about when he was playing for the Chicago White Sox. And how he would show up to the ballpark, and if he, you know, was needing a day of rest, uh, he was told this is some kid's first ball game that they're ever going to. They're here to see Frank Thomas play, so you need to be in the lineup. Very different mentality these days. I can't say that I agree or disagree with it because I, I see both sides of the of the coin here. It was really interesting to me that Tim Anderson got an off day today. Again, don't know what's going on with Tim or if this is just residual, uh, you know, uh, from his groin injury. You got to rest that groin. He's got a big week in L.A. coming up, Steve. Um, so there's there's a, just a bunch of question marks that I had when I saw Yohan Makata leading off for the White Sox. I don't think I've seen him lead off since, what, when, like, when he first arrived with 20, the White Sox? 2018. Or 2018. 2018. I haven't seen it in a long time. So – here we are, Yohan Mankata. He's your he's your straw that stirs the drink today, Steve. And I questioned it, and look what I get uh, in return. Well, that'll happen sometimes. Um, as it relates to Tim, I think it was talked about before the game. And I think TLR had mentioned that obviously with the eight games and seven days coming up um, in Cleveland and in Minnesota here this week that. And then plus with Tim having to make the all-star travel out to the West coast, that there was going to be an off day mixed in there. They weren't particularly sure when also making it sound like he's not going to play both games of the double header on Tuesday in Cleveland, which I'm not overly thrilled about that. If I'm going to be completely honest with you, because Jose Ramirez has no, no problem playing both ends of a double header at third base. Um, and he's the one guy in that Cleveland guardians lineup that is needed on a day in and day out basis. Tim's kind of almost the same way from, you know, hashtag set the tone standpoint. Are you questioning but, his toughness? I'm not questioning his toughness. I just, it's just, I guess, irritating for lack of a better word. I just, again, I'm going to come back to it. If Jose Ramirez can handle both games of a doubleheader, why can't Tim Anderson? And I'm not saying that that's a Tim decision. It sounds like it is a collaborative decision between the training staff and, and the coaching staff there. It just doesn't really make sense to me, given how important this week coming up is. It's simply irritating. It is a bit irritating. And that's why I, I question, you know, why, you know, the, the mentality stuff that I, I just went back to. I mean, Frank Thomas was talking about it. I feel like it's it's a fair question at this point. If the White Sox need you and you are the leader on this team, you're not in the lineup. Is this to to save him for later? Like I just I feel like I want more answers here. I want to know exactly what's going on because then it's easier to understand. And the Sox sometimes you don't really understand what's going on until two or three months down the road. We'll get more into that later, Steve. Back to this ball game today, Yohan Moncada. You mentioned that uh, he he did uh, have a fairly decent day at the plate, although first inning wasn't his thing. 
wasn't hit. It wasn't the thing for many White Sox players all the way through the fifth, but they eventually do start scoring runs. Before we get to the point where they are, we got to talk about something that was a little bit concerning, something that I really don't want to venture down right now, but we have to. Michael Kopuck took the mound today for the Chicago White Sox. The velocity was down. He gives up a first inning home run to Javier Baez. I hate that guy. Um, he's kind of just been a thorn in the side of the White Sox this entire series. He seems to revel in pissing off White Sox fans and having Cubs fans who are attending the game cheer for him. Um, something that you don't want to see on the sell side. If you're there, I know you witnessed a game or two of that, Steve, am I correct? You, you witnessed some of this as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating um, for a fan base that portends to not care about the Sox. They spent a lot of time this weekend at a Sox tiger series. Um, I don't seem to remember in 2006 or even if you go to 2010 when Aaron Rowan came back when he was on the Philadelphia Phillies and uh, came to Wrigley to play the Cubs. I don't remember Sox fans going there in Aaron Rowan jerseys to cheer against the Cubs. Just fascinating that we saw so much of that over the weekend, again, from a fan base that claims that they don't care about the White Sox, yet they spent the entire weekend in the ballpark. Yeah, it was it was quite interesting. There's some fascinating human beings that wear Javier Baez, uh, Detroit, uh, you know, T-shirt, jersey, jerseys, whatever you want to call them, and Cubs hats. Two thirty-fifth and Shields to go cheer on their boy, who no longer plays for their team. I don't. I don't know why they're getting mixed up within you know all of this, but they seem confused. They and, they uh, definitely don't care about the Sox, though. No, they don't. They they don't care about the Sox. It's it's just a really interesting thing, and I, yeah, I feel yeah. like we have so, to bring so, this we're 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 the ones that obsess over them, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh. So moving past that, because it's a really hard thing to do. We could spend an hour talking about, you know, the the people who showed up to root on for Javier Baez all weekend, but we got to get to some actual important White Sox stuff. It's it's just in our best interests on this show. Steve, Michael Kopak gives up that home run, kind of has a weird play where he comes off the mound trying to cover first base. He's obviously waved off, but there was something that the dugout didn't like on that play. Larusa, Katz, and the training staff come out. There's a mouth visit. I'm thinking this is deja vu all over again. Michael Kopech's coming out of the game. He's going to be frustrated. He stays in there, and he finishes his night off pretty damn well, or his his afternoon off, I should say, pretty damn well, keeping his team in this ball game and limiting the damage to just those two runs. Steve, give me your thoughts on Michael Kopech right now. I thought it was a gutsy performance. It was in the sense that he fought his way through and was able to pitch into the sixth inning. The stuff, again, still is not what it was early on in the season. So we're going on an, almost a month here um, since that start against the Texas Rangers when he had to exit with the knee issue here. And uh, for those of you that are listening, if you got a chance, go to ontapsportsnet.com. Listen to the interview that I did with uh, Dr. Narav Shah from Parkview Orthopedics kind of giving a synopsis on what he thinks could be some of the issues with Michael Kopech going forward here for the remainder of the season. It's just not the same right now with him. And 
I really think that there is a significant dead arm period that he's going through right now. He's at, I want to say 74, 75 innings at this point, which is more than he had all of last season. They really are approaching a point here where they need to do a short level shutdown. I think I wouldn't be at all shocked if perhaps we see maybe utilizing whatever leg issue that uh, they saw in the dugout here earlier today as a reason for an IL stint uh, this week coming up. And then you've got the all-star break and then you've got a little bit of a choppy schedule where they have off days on Monday, the 25th and Thursday, the 28th sandwiched between two games in Colorado. So this team has an opportunity to skip Michael Kopech for anywhere from 17 to 21 days. If they really want to, to try to give him an opportunity to recharge his arm and get back some of that life on the fastball. Cause as you mentioned, Tony, he was sitting about 92 miles an hour here consistently today. That's well down off of his 95 mile an hour average that we've seen throughout the course of the season. So something's not right there. The crispness with the breaking ball isn't there. And Tony LaRusso had even mentioned that Ethan Katz was working with Kopech to try to incorporate the changeup more in his pitch mix, which is something that I have been clamoring for for much of the season here. It's an interesting time to see him start to do that when you see that decline in the overall velocity and the crispness in the breaking ball. So this really does... I think lend itself to a great opportunity for the White Sox to give Michael Kopech a little bit of a breather here, recharge his battery, and then come back late in the month of July here, recharge, and hopefully this team is still afloat in position to contend for this division title, and he's strong. I, I wanted to just hand that over to you because you have all the hashtag facts for the people here, Steve. Uh, Kopech finishes uh, his day five and third, gives up only four hits. Uh, he did walk three, struck out four. That's not exactly the sexiness that you want uh, uh, from a line on a Michael Kopech start. There is definitely something that's ailing him. I think that arm is probably you know, very uh, high on the list of things that that could be. Uh, he's also a guy that loves to battle, Steve. He's a he's a competitor. He's going to want to go out there and compete. How hard is it going to be for the White Sox to take the ball away from him, even if it's in his best interest? That's my question. It is definitely going to be a challenge because the one thing I really do like about Michael Kopech, and I think the thing that separates him from – some of the other guys in this rotation, like Lucas Giolito, like Dylan Cease, is he has that bulldog mindset. He's got a mindset very similar to Lance Would Lynn. the kids say that he has that dog in him? I believe the kids would say that. Okay. Hashtag confirmed. But at the end of the day, Michael Kopech is a guy, he wants the ball in big situations because he believes that when he has that baseball in his hand, that he is better than whoever is in that batter's box. He doesn't care. So – Asking him to dial it back for his best interest and for the best interest of the team right now because he has been struggling from a performance standpoint for the last month. It is definitely going to be a challenge, but they have to find a way to do it, in my opinion. Fair enough. And, and Steve, I, I love the attitude and the way that he handles his business uh, for that reason. So uh, that's the reason for the question there. Uh, Steve. He was good enough today 
to help his team get a win. I thought, like I said earlier, very gutsy performance from Michael Kopech. I know it wasn't his best stuff, but there's always something about a pitcher who can go out there and be effective. When Michael Kopech came up into this league, it was the high-powered fastball, fuck you, I'm throwing this past you. To see him settle in and hit his spots today kind of showed me a different side to this and just I think is going to be a very, very important thing uh, later on in his career as he ages. Um, and, and you know this, Steve, someday you just wake up and things don't feel the same way as they did before. And you can't hit 98 anymore. You're throwing 94, 95, 89. You've seen a bunch of pitchers kind of wear that down. Michael Kopech, to me, hasn't been the guy that is all about hitting his spots and fooling hitters and starting to do some of the stuff that you, you're seeing right now. And a prime example would be Johnny Cueto on this White Sox roster, learning how to work through some of that stuff. I thought it was a great performance from him today. We got our guy Sox Insane in here. Uh, you just pulled his comment. He's hurt, so he's got that White Sox in him. I thought that was uh, that was an absolutely uh, perfect comment there from our guy Sox Insane. If you're not following him, go do that. On if you're not, Sox why? Insane. I don't know what why. Are you, you, are you, you're not even twittering right if you're not. Yeah, I mean, that's those are just hashtag facts, Steve. Uh, moving past Michael Kopech, I, I do think that it's it's time to get him a little bit of extra rest. I don't know how they're going to accomplish that uh, because he is such a competitor and he doesn't seem to want to leave the mound. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how they handle uh, that business. Maybe we'll have more of that information up on ontapsportsnet.com later this week. Steve, we'll have to see if that happens. Some interesting uh, foreshadowing, Anthony. It is. It, it, it definitely is. Uh, let's get back to this, Steve. The White Sox don't get on the board until the fifth inning. They do end up getting a run across in the fifth to make it a 2-1 ball game. How imperative was it to be opportunistic in this inning for the White Sox? That has been a big struggle for this team all season, and that is a big part of the reason why they are sitting two games under 500 on July the 10th, because they have struggled to be opportunistic when teams have given them chances to put runs on the board, given them opportunities to score one run or add multiple runs in an inning. And it has cost them countless ball games here through the first uh, almost three and a half months of this season. So to see Yoan Mankata come through in that particular spot, and I saw a particularly interesting tweet from uh, Jay Kuda earlier today that talked about Yoan Mankata with runners in scoring positions is hitting about 570 on the season. So again, there's a lot of narratives out there about Yoan Mankata. Some of them are fair. Some of them are not. Um, but I find it fascinating that Mankata has been a guy that actually has performed in those high leverage situations with runners in scoring position this year. And to see that continue again here today to get that team off the schneid and on the scoreboard was very important today. That's the Yohan Mankata that you want to see. And I, I, I know I left a little bit for you to fill in the blanks here, but I felt that it was fair for you to to take the Yoan Moncada run uh, that he drove in here and, and, and just kind of drive this home. When Yoan Moncada is playing at a high level, doing stuff like this, it only means good things for the White Sox. No one on this show is rooting for Yoan Moncada to be a bust. No one on this show is rooting for Yoan Moncada to fail. There's things that we also get a little bit irritated with at, at certain ports, uh, like points and parts of his game. But today is is the perfect 
example of this where Moncada can step up, be your leadoff guy when Tim Anderson is out and go deliver in situations. Not to say that that has to be, he has to be in the leadoff spot to go do that. But Steve, some of those, some of those stats about him in clutch situations, I think is it's kind of imperative to, to go and look at it. It has to be part of the conversation when you talk about Moncada as a complete player uh, these are good things to know because the more educated we are, the better we can view this game. Uh, Steve, the Sox then go into the next inning, and my baby boy, your baby my boy, baby boy, he is hashtag back right now. Steve, he is hashtag back. I hope you can confirm it. He looks great at the plate ever since he was set, uh, sent down to AAA. Charlotte figured it out a little bit. I gave him a little bit of tough love on this show, but he is over the past weekend just emptying Jerry's firework budget. We just talked about that a couple of days ago. Why is Jerry not blowing off enough fireworks at 35th and Shields? My boy, Gavin, who promised it to me for my birthday, is now personally taking matters into his own hands, and he is making it smell like sulfur all around the ballpark. I fucking love it. I love it myself. Um, you know, since coming back from his stint down in AAA Charlotte on June the 23rd, he has actually been one of the most productive hitters in this White Sox lineup. Um, coming into the game today here, I think he had a WRC plus of like 165 during that time frame. Now, granted, it's you know 50 some plate appearances, but that's important. He's been providing left handed power, which this team so desperately needs, and the issues obviously come into play about him being in right field consistently, but that is more of a roster construction issue. But given the challenges that we have seen with AJ Pollock for almost the entire season, and he's really gone into a spiral here again over the last two and a half, three weeks, this team has no alternative right now other than to ride the hot hand. And Gavin Sheets is going out there providing quality plate appearances, providing much needed power, and you see the two-strike approach with him that he utilized. Um, he had a base hit earlier in the game, going the other way, beating the shift on that, doing what he needs to do in that particular situation there, and then later in the game, getting his pitch and finding the launch codes, just like he did yesterday when I was in the ballpark, um, You know, working himself into a quality 3-0 hitters count and driving the ball to the fucking moon. That's what I want to see from that big boy in the middle of the lineup. Yeah, I mean, I know he's a golfer, but I love when he takes the driver out, Steve, and just mashes one. The he has just such a pretty swing when it works. Like his when everything comes together for Gavin Sheets, that uh right field center gap is fully in play, and he's he's hitting home runs to parts of the ballpark that to traditionally only you've seen left-handed power hitters hit too. Uh, if you've watched this White Sox team. Frank Edward had, Thomas would like a word. Well, uh, he is just an absolute freak and one of the greatest baseball players of all time, Steve. So I'm taking him out of this equation. I'm saying right now you're not seeing a lot of the home runs from anybody else in this White Sox team go to that, that particular section of the ballpark unless you get – uh, Yoan or Yasmani Grandal, but they seem to pull the line a little bit better than Gavin does in terms of uh, gap power. So I, I love it. I think it's it's a great addition to the White Sox lineup. Something that I said before we hopped on here and went live is 
I think it, it, it speaks volumes to how hard Gavin's worked to get his uh, shit back together um, in terms of coming up into this lineup and challenging guys like Andrew Vaughn, AJ Pollock, who you traded a like potential future Hall of Fame closer for to, to come in and, and be your guy in, in right field. Um, you know, after he was sent down, Gavin is really worked his way into this lineup. I don't think that he's had a lot of free passes on some of this stuff as much as his bats just been valuable because you watch the approach, you watch the way he battles in some of these at bats to drive higher counts. I saw a little bit of that earlier on in the season. I know there's no awards for guys who take, uh, you know, pitchers to full count and then strike out. And nobody's winning an award for that. The, the, the end result is still an out. But his plate approach has been one of the better plate approaches, I feel, on this 2022 White Sox team. And you see it finally paying some dividends right now. Back-to-back games where he's left the yard, he's earning his playing time, he's starting to do things that uh, you know you no longer see people on Twitter.com calling for him to be DFA'd and sent down and off this roster. Uh, I, I just think I love it. And, because a number one, I'm a Gavin Sheets fan, but B number two, it's good for the White Sox when Gavin Sheets is hitting the ball the way he is right now. You are 100% correct, Anthony. This team needs a spark offensively, and Gavin has been doing what is necessary to provide that. If you're not getting it from other sources, if you're not getting it from AJ Pollock, if you're not getting it from Aloy, now granted it's only been, you know, a couple of, of games here. He did have the big home run in his return on Wednesday. Andrew Vaughn had been going through a significant power outage up until this week here. So they are in a position through no one's fault, but their own that if you have someone that is performing, you can't afford to not have them in the lineup, and you have to ride that hot hand. So we can talk all we want about handedness and everything, and we can talk, obviously, look, we all know Gavin Sheets is not a right fielder, okay? This is a roster construction problem between, um, you know, Gavin, Eloy, Andrew Vaughn, and Jose Abreu. You just don't have enough spots. And so someone has to be out of place right now. And that has been Gavin in right field, but that's not his fault. But the fact of the matter is he's hitting. So if my alternatives right now are putting AJ Pollock in right field, a traditional outfielder who himself doesn't have a lot of experience in right field, but a guy that's not hitting. Okay. We're going to get to him later on today here. But by and large, for the last three weeks, he has not been hitting. That is not the case for Gavin Sheets. This team needs offense, so ride that hot hand. And it's times like these where, you know, it just in life, Steve, you've got to ride it when it's hot. You've got to enjoy it while you have it. There will be a time where Gavin Sheets gets back into a little bit of a slump himself. But when your boy is doing well, Sometimes it's time to sit back and crack them and just enjoy the ride, as some people like to say. Uh, I've heard that before. Yeah, that 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 uh, that was for you, Gavin. Cheers. Uh, crack them and uh, keep hitting home runs because I like to see it. Steve, you brought up a little bit of interesting foreshadowing yourself there uh, just a moment ago. And it, it's time to get to the man himself, A.J. Pollock. Absolute clutch 
performance from AJ Pollock today. He comes in and hits for Gavin Sheets, and then. But before we before we even get to that, though, we got to talk about our boy Johnny Jonathan Nani, who loves when the White Sox are opportunistic. Yes, he does love when the White Sox are opportunistic. Go set the table for this, Steve. I will set the tone for this. Instance. There you go. Let's set you the know, tone. you go back. Um, that was was it the seventh or the or the eighth inning where they where this happened? I think I thought I think it was the eighth. This was the eighth inning. The eighth inning, two outs, mind you, and Luis Robert comes up to the plate, hits a relatively routine fly ball. Robbie Grossman, who has not made an error since 2017, the longest errorless streak in Major League Baseball, drops a routine fly ball, allowing Luis Robert to get to second base. How many times have we seen it this year? A team gives the White Sox an opportunity. They open the door for them to take advantage and win a baseball game and snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat, and they don't capitalize. What happened today was really the script being flipped. Following that plate appearance, we saw A.J. Hinch intentionally walk Jose Abreu, put runners on first and second. Now your baby boy Gavin Sheets comes up. Hinch is going to go to the bullpen, bring in his fireballing lefty closer, Gregory Soto, Take it away, Anthony. I just think that this was master class from Tony La Russa, honestly, Steve, because, you know, I know that Gavin Sheets felt disrespected after Jose Abreu was was walked in front of him, and he channeled that energy, and he handed he handed the, the power over to TLR to take him out of this ball game and put A.J. Pollock up. And Soto comes into this game fireballer throwing 100 miles an hour and you get this nice seeing eye little lazily hit baseball that finds a gap and for some reason the baseball gods allowed it to make it through the infield and the White Sox are able to score in a very opportunistic fashion with two outs when is the, the when is the last time we talked about something just going the right way. I saw a lot of people comment about Andrew Vaughn. I commented myself uh, pinch hitting uh, the other day, right process, wrong result today. Same thing. I know TLR talks a lot about handedness and how he stages these things up. I think this was a handedness move, but I also thought it was a good move in terms of, well, if you do take a lead here, even if you don't, you're going into this next inning. You need that true outfielder to be out there. Here's a right-handed at bat, kind of checked a few boxes off of the thought process of our manager who takes a lot of heat. But I, I liked this move. I liked the move to bring in Andrew Vaughn the other day. It paid off. It could it, it might not have. It might not have. And I want to I want to talk about what would have happened if it didn't for just a second here, Steve, because you know the talking heads would have wanted Tim Anderson to show up in this situation as a right-handed at-bat. I think they would have, obviously, but you know, given what we have seen this year, and we've seen it in a number of circumstances with Tim or with Andrew Vaughn or with Luis Robert, in circumstances where they are announced to be out prior to the game, we don't see them come pinch hit in these 
high leverage late inning situations. This has been something that has been a consistent theme throughout the course of the season. So you are correct in that. Um, at the end of the day, the process was correct. And, and you outlined there the idea of then inserting AJ Pollock into, um, you know, the outfield in the bottom, or excuse me, in the top half of the inning, should they have taken the lead, which they ultimately did. So again, from a process standpoint, it was absolutely correct right there. There were a lot of things from, from a process standpoint that were done effectively today. Tony LaRusso going to Ronaldo Lopez in the spot where he did when he relieved Michael Kopech. Right process. Ronaldo Lopez has been outstanding this year. We saw him pumping 101 today. So to see him utilize that. And Jimmy Lambert, again, coming in there in a pivotal situation, doing a job, a guy that is gaining some valuable experience in the bullpen and someone that I think could be an important bullpen piece for this team in the second half of the season and into the future. Guys like that developing and, and Lopez and I think him have similar trajectories where these were guys that were starters throughout the course of their minor league career, even a little bit at the major league level, turning into viable bullpen pieces. That's what you need organizationally. So you don't waste money on Joe Kelly. Oof, a little backhanded comment there, Stephen. Um, you know, I just think overall the process was right. Want to point it out, credit where credit's due. But you also brought up in there somehow we made our way to Reynaldo Lopez, who I, I had a, a few notes on here. This dude might be the most underrated piece of the 2022 Chicago White Sox. Not kidding. He stepped up. He's done so many different things for this organization just over the course of this year. Here's a guy who a couple of years ago people thought were, was going to be part of this rotation. He kind of got, you know, uh, the short end of the stick on a few things. Some of it is his own doing. Uh, I know he had an eye doctor appointment that changed his life one day. Uh, and he came back and he's looked great ever since. Really, honestly, Steve. What he's doing at the back end of this bullpen and even the front end of this bullpen on just what seems to be a whenever called basis, he has been one of the most reliable options on the White Sox pitching staff all year. It's been incredible. And to see him starting to gas it up a little bit, we're talking about Garrett Crochet numbers here. We're you, talking about yeah. high heat. And yeah. we know that's my favorite pitch. We've had this discussion before. Reynaldo Lopez looks pretty fucking cool and tough coming out of that White Sox bullpen right now. So once again, giving credit where credit's due, just good shit coming from Raylo right now. You're 100% right. And, you know, you may even see some more hashtag content on this very topic later on this week, folks. Hey, we're all about the uh, the foreshadowing here on this show. Uh, Steve, Sox added on a little bit more after AJ Pollock drove in a run to give the White Sox the lead. Our guy Eloy Jimenez takes one down the line. I thought that was an excellent piece of hitting to follow that up. As White Sox fans, we all like to think about, you know, saying whenever we've got a little rally, don't stop now, boys. This was the time where don't, don't stop now, boys, actually came and it was pretty much spoken into existence it was all opportunistic stuff. I know our guy Johnny was at the stadium today to witness it. I can't believe 
how well that worked out for this team right now. Because it feels like we don't have this happen very often. Not this year anyway. We obviously saw a lot of that last season with this team and the hot start that they got off to. It's been well documented on a website known as, uh, I believe, twatter.com, I want to say. Um, Your boy loves crooked numbers. Mm -hmm. So to see him take the lead and then add on that second insurance run, make that number crooked, I got all warm and tingly inside. It just, I just, I, I just felt it in my loins. I was like, okay, this is, this is a good thing, you know? So you have that two run lead and then you just, you turn it over to Liam Hendricks, who has retired nine consecutive hitters since coming off the IL, something that Alex Colomay could never do. Never, never. You keep rolling with that. Oh, keep rolling with that. Hashtag facts only. One day I'm just going to bust out the cocktails are for closers on the show and we'll we'll have more words on the Alex Calame discussion. Uh, the next thing that I need to get to here, Steve, is Liam Hendricks was warming up in the bullpen while this was taking place. There was sort of a moment there where you thought, okay, we're going to be getting Liam Hendricks into this ball game in a potential 2-2 tie in the ninth inning what's going to happen in extras if they fail to score. Obviously they do score, but I just want to weigh in on this. There were, a, not there were, there are a bunch of people who are of the mindset that some of TLR's bullpen uses has been horseshit because he fails to put Liam Hendricks in these games that the Sox don't have a lead in, in a safe situation I've kind of seen a flip in the script of what Larusa is doing with this bullpen lately over the past, I'd say maybe two weeks. It seems like he's adapting to this. I know Liam Hendricks came into another ball game that the Sox didn't have a lead in. Uh, I forget who it was against, but it was within the last. It was it was against the Twins on Monday. It was against the Twins on Monday. Okay, so we're starting to see some of this now. Adjustments have been made. Are those going to be positive adjustments for the future, Steve? What are your thoughts? I think absolutely. It's funny that you mentioned this because right around this time last year, we started to see a similar change in Hendrick's usage patterns in him being utilized sometimes for a five out save or being brought in in the eighth inning. If a team had the heart of their lineup coming up. So it almost appears as though um, Tony is looking at it from the standpoint of the first half of the season, I'm not going to utilize this approach. And then the back half of the season, we're going to adapt and, and kind of change some of the patterns and change when Liam can be utilized. I personally, I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Just Hendricks talked about at the time that he signed that he's re- he's willing to take the ball whenever wherever he is needed to. So utilizing him in these particular spots right there, having him warm up in that situation, knowing that he could have potentially come in in a tie game is absolutely the right thing to do. And and Tony is doing the right thing from that standpoint. And look, I, I am critical of Tony LaRusso when it is warranted. But again, I will also say when he does things correct, and this was a situation where he did this correctly. 
Steven, I just thought he put his team in the best position to win today and they executed for him. Obviously, at the end of the day, things could have gone differently. I like to talk about the hypotheticals, what would have went down. Obviously, Liam Hendricks comes into a ball game in a safe situation, locks it down, game over, Sox win. We're drinking victory beers. Those taste better. We all know it. But, Steve, I thought it was a very well from the top down today, very well-played ball game, especially after you get past the fifth inning. If you take into consideration the fact that Michael Kopech cleaned it up. Uh, after you got past the first two maybe, hitters. Yeah, maybe after the past, past the first two hitters. The Sox played a very good ball game today. I want to get to that more. And Johnny and I talked a little bit about this yesterday. It's the, it's the, it's the Detroit Tigers, and we know that Detroit sucks. So there's, I guess, somewhat of a, I guess, less heightened feeling. Like this would feel a lot better if it came against Minnesota. It would feel a lot better if it came against Cleveland or some of these other teams because let's be real here, Steve. Winning games against Detroit is taking care of business. Winning games against teams that are ahead of you are things that start to set you apart. So, granted, overall, homestand wasn't very successful, but you like to see this process. You like to see these steps. You like to see these things take place. It's time to implement them throughout the rest of the 2022 season so that this team can be successful. That's what we want to see. It happened today, but you're only as good as your last envelope, so it needs to happen throughout the next week. Steve, we've got a bunch of other White Sox topics to talk about here. I'm going to hand you the floor. What do we want to talk about next? It's Sunday fun day. Let's spend another 20 minutes talking White Sox baseball. Well, I mean, we can look. We can go a number of different ways here. Um, I think that it is somewhat important for us to discuss the elephant in the room, the, the proverbial room on twitter.com. Those of you who follow some of the Chicago food accounts have seen some things going back to April saying that there's some turmoil in the clubhouse going back to the doubleheader in Cleveland back in April, which boy, amazing how this story drops as the team is, getting on the plane to go back to the scene of the crime and a piece from my boy, Bob Nightingale, hashtag confirmed stating that there is a lot of clicks and dissension and just not an overall harmonious atmosphere in the White Sox clubhouse at the moment. And that's obviously going to open itself up to a lot of fodder um, and a lot of discussion points within the fan base here it really is fascinating just from the standpoint, everyone knows I'd like to make fun of Bob and justifiably in a lot of cases, but he does have a track record of getting inside information as it relates to the White Sox more so than any other teams. And I will highlight one specific example. Late October of 2020, Rick Hahn is at the podium announcing the firing of Rick Renteria. Almost immediately, all of the national heavy-hitting baseball writers, your Ken Rosenthal's, your Jeff Passens, your John Morosis of the world, are linking A.J. Hinch to the White Sox job. One person 
said the name Tony La Russa and was summarily laughed at, that person was Bob Nightingale. So for him to put a report out there today talking about some of the issues within the Sox clubhouse is, if nothing else, interesting. Whether it's factual or not, we're never really going to know because the White Sox keep things very closed. Uh, they're a very tight-knit group. But for this to come directly from Bob is interesting, if nothing else. I think you set the set the tone here for this conversation uh, very well there, Steve. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have some some thoughts on this. Uh, obviously, this White Sox team has looked uninspired, I think, to say the least, throughout certain facets and, and aspects of the game as well as over stretches. Uh, and I think that you can go and point some fingers to – like you said, the scene of the crime, the doubleheader that took place in Cleveland earlier this season. Now, again, to be a fly on the wall and actually know what happened there, it would be would be wonderful because we'd have more information on this. However, at the end of the day, I, I really think that if there are clicks, if there are problems within the White Sox clubhouse, if there are things that uh, took place there, Roster construction looks a little different. I'm not pointing fingers here, but we do know that Dallas Keuchel was a very vocal person within that clubhouse. Don't know if that's anything to do with this situation at all, uh, but he was a strong personality in there. You look at the play from some of your leaders, and he called out leaders when he when he wrote this. If you actually look at the uh, statement that Bob Nightingale wrote, uh, there was a questioning of lack of leadership, and it's something that we've talked about on this show numerous times, Steve, numerous times. Who do you as a White Sox fan look at to be the leaders in this White Sox clubhouse? There are two guys specifically that I look to. Um, Jose Abreu, obviously, is the leader amongst the Latin players. In that clubhouse, they view him as a father figure. He is the most significant member of this team. Not the longest tenured, but he is the most significant member of this team. And then on the other side of that, you have the more outspoken, um, flashier Tim Anderson. Those are the two guys that everyone really looks at as the heart and soul of this White Sox team as presently constructed. So I'll kind of go from there and you talk about veteran leadership. Uh, there were certain guys who were brought in here to be veteran leadership to kind of add to this. You saw a dust up between Lance Lynn and Joe McEwing earlier this season. Uh, I know he wasn't with the ball club for the full year. He's had his rehab stints and he was injured to start the year. But I also look to Lance Lynn to kind of lead this thing. And it's, it's really interesting when you take this into consideration, Steve, and I'll add an, another layer of complexity to this. Last year, there was an article, I believe it was from Scott Merkin, that said that Tony La Russa doesn't need to lead the clubhouse. He looks to his guys who are there to be the leaders. Um, I'm not going full tinfoil hat theory here, Stephen, but I, on this note, if a manager is leaving the clubhouse – to his players because he trusts that, you know, those are the guys who are going to 
be on everybody else's back, get them to play the way that they should be playing each and every day. It was established last year, not this season, last season, that these are the guys who are your leaders. Now, leadership can change amongst groups of individuals and have changed for the course of human history at a fairly rapid pace. It's very intriguing to me, given the still shots of Abreu outside the clubhouse in the dugout. You've seen NBC Sportsnet's pregame show comment about it. We've talked about it on this show. Love seeing Jose being pissed off. Then you get Frank and Ozzy talking about, well, why isn't he in the clubhouse dealing with these guys? You also have Tim Anderson, who's been in and out of the lineup, having a lot of rest days. There's something that I think could potentially be viable with this. It might have legs. Where I'm at with that right now is that shit needs to stop. It needs to stop now. The team needs to have fun. The team needs to be able to win ball games in order to have fun. Fix it on the field. The clubhouse will then become better. The results on the field haven't been fucking great. There's no way any of these guys entered spring training thinking that they would be in the position that they are right now. Whatever happened, it's time to bury the fucking hatchet and start winning ball games like you did today. It's very interesting this story came out after the White Sox won two games in a row, regardless of the opponent. But holy shit, it's time to fix whatever that is, because if it's even getting sniffed out in the national media, Steve, then there was a problem. Whatever that problem is doesn't fucking matter right now. The goal is still the same. You have to win. You have to figure it out. And the best way to have fun is winning baseball games. Everybody needs to do their fucking job from the manager, from the general manager, down to the right fielder, down to the guy on the bench, the guy coaching third base, first base, the trainers, everybody. It takes an organization that's in lockstep to do great things. If there's a problem with that, then we can start calling things into question. But right now, at this very moment, it's imperative that if there is any sort of clicks, leaders not getting along, any of that shit needs to stop immediately. And the best way to stop this is to start winning and taking joy in winning baseball games day in, day out. Every single time you go out on the field, you leave it there. That's all. All I have to say. It needs to stop now. You are 100% correct, Anthony. They are in a position, again, of their own doing. They have no more time to sit back and relax and deal with any junior high petty bullshit. You need to win fucking baseball games, and it has to start this week because I got news for you. If you go two and six this week, it can be over. It very well could be over because the two teams that you are chasing, you are a half a game behind Cleveland right now. You're one game back in the loss column. You're three back of Minnesota in the loss column. You go two and six here this week, that could turn into six or seven real quick. And then all of a sudden now problems start to get a lot bigger because you are losing time on the schedule. The calendar now matters at this point. Whatever the fuck happened, if it did happen, 
It's over and done with. Get your heads together collectively as a unit and win baseball games, period, paragraph. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the, the only way I can address this, Steve. And I know that we've had comments on this show for, for months. There's been people talking about it on Twitter, what happened in Cleveland. Don't know. Can't tell you. But whatever did happen doesn't matter in this very moment. If the White Sox are able to overcome whatever that is, you saw the Lance Lynn, and here's my example of this. Lance Lynn, Joe McEwing, cameras caught it. They talked about it. They made a joke about steak. Move on. Done. Over. That's the best way to handle your business. Just keep going. But you can't let things like this fester. You can't let them explode. You can't let them get to a point where everybody's wondering, you know, what somebody's personal drama is back and forth. Because guess what? If people are talking about some of this shit on Twitter, you damn well know that there's these are people, too. There's stuff going back and forth. It's time to put whatever it is to bed for the betterment of the team and for the betterment of everybody's goals. Because guess what? Certain guys didn't sign contracts to come and play for this ball club to deal with this fucking nonsense. Don't care what it is. Figure it out. Move on. Go play baseball. Go win ball games like you're capable of. Because at the end of the day, Steve, I like drinking victory beers. I'm a fan just like you are. Don't want to hear it. I don't. It's stupid. I want more numbers in that left-hand column, and I want them starting this week. Cleveland has lost 8 of 10 since those back-to-back walk-off wins over Minnesota. Kick them in the fucking nuts this week. Do it. They're down. Kick them in the nuts. Make it hurt. That would be fun. That would be real fun. Steve, you brought up what's on tap next for the Chicago White Sox. Let's do a quick little preview of what we've got coming up here, and then let's get out of here because I need to grab another beer. I've had a great time talking about White Sox baseball with you over the last hour, but it's time. What's next on tap for the White Sox? Heading on the road, going to the Mistake by the Lake big four-game series in three days. Doubleheader mixed in on Tuesday. You're chasing the Cleveland Guardians. They're the first team you got to pass. You're a half a game back. Go in there. Take care of business. Show them that you are the better baseball team. They have handled you to this point in the season. You gave multiple games away to them. It is time to turn that tide now and go out there and get the job done. And that is going to start tomorrow with the big bastard, Lance Lynn. Love that Lance Lynn's on the mound for this baseball game, Steve. And you know our guy Johnny loves that Lance Lynn's on the mound. It's fear the beard time, man. It really is. This is a big set-the-tone series for the Chicago White Sox this season. I've got my concerns. I've got plenty of concerns here. But I'm trying to be positive as we wind down this Sunday fun day, Steve. I think the White Sox can carry these last two wins – go into Cleveland, and not have any mistakes by the lake. I'm looking for Lance Lynn to go in there, give me six innings of of, of really well-pitched baseball, and the offense to continue what they did in the late innings, in the early innings tomorrow, so that you give Lance Lynn some run support and turn it on over to the bullpen. They got a little bit taxed today, but they've had some rest. Kudos of Johnny Cueto the other day. So, 
here we go. This is it. This is time to play. It's time to go start making moves within the AL Central. There are two things that are important tomorrow. Guts and nuts. And Lance Lynn is going to bring them tomorrow. I love it. Steve, do you have a pick to click? I do have a pick to click because you know what? He had a day off today. He's going to come back with some energy tomorrow. TA7. Let's go. Start driving the baseball again. You're looking set for the, like one of those set like the tone. Lead, lead off home runs. I'm looking, you know, I was there last year in September in Cleveland. A magical day when my final memory of the Cleveland Indians was the White Sox celebrating a division title on their field. And what happened on that day? Tim Anderson nuked the first fucking pitch out of the damn building. Do it again tomorrow. I love that. I love that energy. Let's let's bring it. It's a set the tone Monday. Start to the week. Let's do it. Steve, I am going to go with Jose Abreu tomorrow. Uh, I, I just feel like he's going to take that intentional walk his his last chance to do some damage against detroit for just a little while and he's gonna want to go out there in his next at bat next couple at bats and go do some damage because he's been seeing the ball very well he's getting on base at a pretty decent clip right now i'm gonna go with it with uh with jose abreu i think he's gonna continue to lead by example and continue hammering baseball so i'm going jose abreu i love it Go in there and take care of business. Get hot. That's what we have to do. Steve, this was a wonderful show. We talked about a lot of White Sox topics. Thank you to all that uh, tuned into this, especially those that tuned in on our YouTube. Drop some comments in. I know we've had Sox Insane, Soxide Mike. Uh, our guy, Boss on Tap, was in here a little bit earlier ago. Uh, so Bert Drink you. made an appearance. Bert Drink made an appearance. Isn't that fantastic? So, if, if you're not following us on the YouTube, go to YouTube.com, search for ONTAP Sportsnet, go hit that subscribe button so you can cop, like come in, comment, talk with us. We have a good time. Uh, and uh, just give us your White Sox thoughts. You can follow NWI Steve at NWI underscore Steve, myself at Tony on Tap. You can follow the show at Sox on Tap on Twitter. Steve, it's been fantastic. I don't know any other way to close this down. White Sox forever. White Sox for life.